Hello and welcome to Bloomberg Crypto. My name is James Gore and this video is for the 19th of May 2020. Going to be talking about two large pieces of news that's hit the space recently. A recent uh, incident at BlockFi and then BitMEX and then just some general news as well. There's not going to be any technical analysis but I do recommend you take a look at my Twitter just because I'm posting a few updates. No charts at the moment, just a few updates on coins that are kind of just kind of obvious what's happening. Um, and it's worth taking a look, following me over there, just so you can kind of get real time, real time idea of um, you know some coins that are set up to break out, which I've been posting about. Um, but before we do start, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, go to bloombearcrypto.com forward slash insider, join the mailing list because uh, something huge is coming endless month. And then, uh, yeah, get ready for this video. So let's talk about BlockFi. So BlockFi had a bit of a data breach today. I think it was about an hour ago or two hours ago. There was essentially a, a SIM swap, which is a very common attack actually um, on one of their employees now basically what that does is someone pretends to be you calls up your uh, your mobile phone provider or network provider says you, they're looking to move your number over to a sim they own and that means they can receive verification text messages for any of your accounts and that includes access to a lot of various different websites, uh, databases, etc, 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 especially work related things. And it looks like this just happened today with BlockFi. And it's actually relatively easy to kind of prevent this from happening from a phone provider level. So it just needs to be extra layers of security I'm going through the process, but also not having a phone uh, number that's so easily uh, attached to very sensitive information that you have or have a different form of two-factor authentication but let's quickly go over this this piece of news because it's quite serious i'm going to talk about kyc in a sec and there's some really good thread by matt odell uh one of the co-hosts of tales from the crypt podcast uh i recommend that podcast it's very good hope you check it out um but basically uh, the New York-based crypto lending platform announced in a memo to its users on Tuesday that a hacker whose identity remains unknown gained access to some of its retail marketing systems for just over an hour early on May 14th. On May 14th, there was a data incident at BlockFi that exposed certain client account information for a brief period of time while no information was accessed. Oh, so it happened on May 14th, didn't realize, seeing the news drop today, um, was accessed that would enable the intruder to access your account or your funds. We believe it is in the interest of transparency to share the following details with you and all of our other clients who were potentially affected. So whoop-de-doo, okay, okay, why, why is this so significant? Well, no one's funds were um lost due to the to the breach um and we'll quickly talk about it. so blockfi's employees phone number was breached and utilized by an unauthorized third party to access a portion of blockfi's encrypted back office system the unauthorized third party was able to access blockfi client information typically used by blockfi for retail marketing purposes throughout the duration of this incident so this is actually really serious and the reason why is the data that we share with you know the people we operate in this space which ultimately is a financial space um is extremely sensitive extremely sensitive especially this data so 
in terms of, for example, someone wanting to, for, for example, suggest you were high, high targets, uh, high value target for a potential attacker, and you had crypto, for some reason, you had crypto that you stored on exchanges, the majority of your holdings were on exchanges, which I do not recommend. Um, it's, it's possible that an attacker could have enough information to target you in this market. It's possible that an attacker could have enough information to run up immense amounts of debt, um, not only in this space, but outside of this space as well, uh, using your information. Um, you, your identity, who you are, you know, in terms of how the government recognizes you as an individual and, and how other, you know, agencies and businesses will be able to recognize you is completely compromised if a malicious attacker would be able to get hold of you know critical information such as a copy of your passport a copy of your birth certificate a copy of your banking details or a copy of your address some institutions that require you to register with them if you've moved to a new address recently they need you need to provide you know three years or more of uh address history um so there's a paper trail so it's really it's, it's, it's really critical that these centralized systems have some kind of means to not be so susceptible to such such an attack let alone all the other attacks out there and generally speaking if you look at the financial system there's a lot of money i'm talking about traditional finance there's a lot of money invested in tackling issues like this. And there's a long history of, you know, the big five and beyond actually, um, focusing their efforts on present, protecting uh, they, their, their customers. And truth be told, they can't. It's, 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 it's close to impossible. So the only other thing you can, the only thing uh, we can really do as individuals is really be responsible with who we share information with. Is it really necessary to share certain pieces of information with, um, particular places that would be deemed vulnerable, you know, potentially vulnerable, high, high target, high value targets. Um, you know, you have to be very cautious. Now, of course, there's advantages to, to using BlockFi, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying don't use BlockFi. All I'm saying is, is that, you know, the current paradigm we're in where KYC is necessary to facilitate the growth of this space does come with trade-offs and we're kind of moving slowly towards a uh, you know a new a new time with finance where um, financial services are being created a model on the existing financial system um, and some of them are operating within and outside of existing regulatory frameworks and this this means that you know those that are operating within are likely to be susceptible to targeted attacks like this those that aren't operated within aren't but it means they come with their own host of problems which is just due to pressure from uh, governments pressure from uh, you know centralized organizations that feel they have the authority to kind of you know um, control can ultimately it does come come down to control um, control you know and something that's in, in the best interests of of, of the people that would be using these services control what is is, is going on and on, on these systems a lot of it also just comes down to kyc for the purposes of anti-terrorist financing kyc for the purposes for anti-money laundering and kyc for the purposes of 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 thwarting tax evasion and avoidance so you know there's a big argument here in terms of 
what role does KYC play in our in the future for the next 20 years? And one thing I have to say, um, especially with friends that I have a lot of friends that work in the financial space, um, one of them specifically does work in KYC. Um, one of them, another one does actually, but from a more programming uh, automated standpoint. But you know, they tell me that it's the most inflated, likely unnecessary aspect of the financial system. One of them, at least. So I digress. But Matt O'Dell had a really interesting Twitter thread on this, and he just talks about it. So what I'll do is I'll link you over to, or if you just look on Twitter. Uh, twitter.com forward slash Matt O'Dell. He talks about the malicious actors, knowing the mailing address, email address, Bitcoin addresses of individuals, especially when there's, um, you know, chain analysis firms as well, you know, having access to this data, if it was just to be leaked publicly or sold on, there is a certain element, there is a certain amount of privacy that people do expect to have when it comes to using a service like BlockFi. You know, you might want to be able to share your uh you know your you know trading history your 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 um you know what services you're using with perhaps a tax man because it's an absolute necessity but you wouldn't want to do that with a public citizen or private entity that's not block where you don't have that relationship because they could just use your data extremely maliciously so you know anyway Moving on, the next big piece of news was BitMEX trading engine was basically frozen today. And there were some interesting things circulating circulating on Twitter saying or, or suggesting that Bitcoin's gone to zero on the exchange. And I haven't really verified that, to be honest with you, because they're Photoshop pictures and BitMEX was down. When I checked BitMEX, BitMEX was perfectly fine. I could log in. Um, and currently they have orders on a cancel only basis. So you can cancel your orders, cancel your stops. Can still do that and they're going to reset the engine but let's be honest guys bitmex has been going through quite a few struggles recently i mean to be fair if we look at all the ex major exchanges let's, let's the, the major players bitmex coinbase binance um in this this past year they have come up they have come full and short ultimately there's been multiple outages binance has probably been the best in terms of transparency in terms of get retain re returning it uh getting back to normal uptime but in all honesty it's not been the best has it and bitmex to be fair probably has been the worst culprit of all exchanges in this space just throughout its entire history um second would probably be bitfinex with the um you know voucher token offering with people's lost funds but engines back online and to some degree earlier this year bitcoin would have gone to zero if it wasn't for an issue with the trading engine on bitmex um some people think that bitcoin would have gone to zero because people were saying the price but but some people you know people have looked into what actually happened um and kind of said well it's actually an engine issue they froze the engine similar things happen today um, but for just whatever reason, we have no idea. But the engine is back up and running to some degree. So next up, let's talk about Fed Chairman Powell's 60 Minutes interview highlighting Bitcoin's value proposition from a Forbes article by Leo Shimron. So he's a contributor to Forbes. And you have to understand that contributors don't really represent any opinions on Forbes in general. So, and you have to take the cryptocurrency stuff with a pinch of salt and fraud. But what I have to say is there's slowly a more mainstream 
look at Bitcoin and cryptocurrency um, from more traditional mainstream places for sure. Um, I mean, just look at JP Morgan providing crypto exchanges with banking services or willing to, basically it's in their in the, in the interest, but they're a bit late to the party. However, um, so US Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell appeared on 60 Minutes on May 17th discussing the Fed's recent operations to stabilize the economy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really be brief with this article and uh, summarize some, some key things. They mentioned basically um, with hopes of stimulating economic activity, backstopping the public equity markets and shoring up the banking system. The Fed injected trillions of dollars by purchasing government securities, providing corporate and small business loans and purchasing high yield junk bonds, ETFs. During the interview, 60 Minutes correspondent Scott Pele asked, you simply fill the system with more money. So basically it goes on to talk about how they just printed a massive amount of money, 2.8 trillion, that is the balance sheet, or 60% increase on the Fed's balance sheet um, since February, just February this year. And he proceeds to talk about um, what that actually meant. Oh, Google is thinking I'm talking to it on my phone. So I really need to sort that out. Um, and just talking about monetary policy and again that was a very great there's a great quote in response to this not only this article but not this article but this interview basically summarized in that one person has an immense amount of power over the entire world and five people are decision makers in terms of the in terms of the direction that things will go in if you don't know the history of the Federal Reserve, I highly recommend you investigate because it doesn't take too long. Um, but ultimately, it's it's something that you know we kind of take for granted. The central banking system, the way things are structured right now, is something that we take for granted. Something that we just expect to have always been around, always been established. Not really, not the case, especially with a country like America. America is a very young country, um, but um, you know the Federal Reserve is essentially modeled on the, on the Bank of England. Um, same with, you know, how, how currencies operate. But um, there's some, been some interesting commentary on on this and where Bitcoin fits into this. And not, and not again, Marky, Marty Bent, TF, Tales from the Crypt podcast, again, podcast getting a, another shout out right here. He says, um, the we he's referring to uh, in the 60 Minutes interview is five people holding voting voting power on changes to monetary policy within the Federal Reserve System during the FOMC meetings. Five out of 330 million. That's all it takes to change US monetary policy. Much harder with Bitcoin. In fact, it's almost impossible to change monetary policy with Bitcoin. It's not impossible. It's almost impossible. Um, and right now, with Bitcoin's positioning and it's becoming, more, it is a more scarce asset than gold and it's become a great, and so on track to become a greater store of value than gold. Um, the chair's comments on gold is actually really interesting because he's saying this ultimately in the interview that it's preserved value. So what's that, what's that hinting at? You know, what's the subtext? Basically he hints at the interview that if you want to preserve your spending power, you'd want to hold gold over 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 cash 
Only issue is that gold fluctuates in price. So that you know the the volatility means that when it comes to actually spending your gold, there could be a bit of, bit of a problem. So for the average person, that you know most people actually living month to month, especially in the current economic climate. I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this, you're probably more the fortunate per, more on the fortunate side um, than than most because most people generally speaking are in the best position um, and most people have less than $300 worth of savings which isn't really a buffer to cover bills um, so you know people that are in that situation are unlikely to be able to ha ha be afforded the chance to invest in gold or invest in Bitcoin um, because they don't know when they actually need to use the money and they probably need to use it when the price goes down because these markets are volatile um, but it but ultimately the interview was was highlighting a point that ca cash is is becoming worthless. It's devaluing. You know, when there are other harder assets out there, for example, if gold didn't exist, if we didn't have any precious metals that were, you know, not used as you know, which which aren't used on the industrial level, um, and Bitcoin didn't exist, then cash relative to all the other, you know, fiat and cash, you know, the dollar. And other, you know, major currencies relative to, you know, the, the weak currencies, they'd be preserving their value, and they, it would be the best option. Um, purchasing power would still decrease, but you wouldn't really have an alternative. But relatively speaking, you know, it'd be the best thing you could do. When there's harder money out there, it's not the best thing you can do ultimately. So, great, uh, great insights in this article. There's a few bits to kind of cherry pick which you can kind of or cherry picks on the best way but kind of highlight which you know gives an indication of where things are going when the federal you know when the chair is saying this about you know their own system it, they really are backed off into a corner i mean i read something today which was absolutely amazing because you know 12 months 12 months ago i, I was thinking you know we are heading towards negative interest rates six months ago i was thinking yep we're heading towards negative interest rates today pretty much confirmed we're guaranteed to have negative interest rates across all central banks um it is a race to the bottom um and we're pretty much already there but it's just something that you know we're likely to see and it's going to have a negative impact on you know the system has to change there has to be a new system because people just won't have a reason to save it when the next crisis comes along people aren't going to have savings um because they have to choose between purchasing power or a crisis that might never come they're most likely going to choose spending because the, the way the system's built it's encouraging uh, debt and etc 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 anyway moving on let's talk about mining revenue so this is one of the great things i was i was i love about this space um because people can kind of lose focus as to where mining fits especially if you're not really interested in mining or learning about mining, because generally speaking, if you're trading cryptos, if you're learning about Bitcoin, you, understand, you, have, you usually have, you probably have a general concept about how mining works, but um, there's, there's lots of new things popping up all the time in this space, you know, from new altcoins, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mining probably, probably isn't super interesting to people. So I'll probably put it second lowest on the list. Lowest on the list would probably be running your own node um, and setting that up. But um basically minor revenue predominantly is coming from fees transactions fees rather than mining blocks so what we're seeing here is what we well not rather than mining blocks pretty much the same thing but um what we're seeing here is from on-chain analytics firm glassnode 
Bitcoin miners now derive close to 15% of their revenue from transaction fees. Bear in mind, fees are really low on Bitcoin. I know people say that the fees are going up. It's crazy. I think I saw, you know, I think I have it here actually, 14,000 uh, BTC moved for about five, $5 or something, which is hilarious. But fees are massively up. Um, revenue, not massively up, but fees are up significantly. There's a spike and it's approaching 2018 levels. So this is pretty good for miners because it basically means that they can remain profitable with showing strength after the halvening. And it's one of the things that people were concerned about with the halvening is going to be a minor death spiral. The way Bitcoin works is the system will find balance um, thanks to you know the hash rates versus you know thanks to the block reward versus the um, difficulty rating, difficulty adjustment. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of mechanisms in place to ensure that miners will become profitable. Now, when all the Bitcoins mined, we shall see how things go. But based purely on what's happening now, it seems like it's trending towards the place that um, mining will continue to be profitable over time. Okay, moving on. So, uh, very interesting article here from Nick Carter on Coindesk um, talking about um, energy, energy consumption with Bitcoin. And... He says last word on Bitcoin's energy consumption, uh, but I think it's it's just worth quickly touching upon this, just because one of the heavy heavy criticisms of Bitcoin is that it's extremely energy costly. And I think I saw something recently of some U.S. official saying that the people operating the Bitcoin space are criminal because they're killing the environment or some garbage. Um, just to just to like juxtapose this, okay? Was the energy consumption of the Visa network? Was the energy consumption of the Mastercard network? Was the energy consumption of loads of other systems that people people use? Um, what's the energy cons consumption of the internet in general? You know, no one no one's asking these questions. Um, and you know, Bitcoin Bitcoin isn't dramatically. You know, people. There's a bit of a misconception when it comes to energy consumption with Bitcoin. There was some great research two years ago or a year ago. Unfortunately, I don't have it with me uh, on this article because you know when it was released, it was re released years ago. It's fallen into the the mass that is the internet and the links that I have saved uh, regarding Bitcoin. Um, but ultimately, it was just talking about how energy consumption with Bitcoin um, isn't what people perceive it to be. And let's assume that the energy consumption with Bitcoin is what people perceive it to be. That is something that's quite terrible and that the cost is quite dramatic. And it's, you know, there is a, you know, the, the energy consumption is quite high. For a money that's going to, you know, assuming that's the case, for something that's going to revolutionize or in theory going to revolutionize the monetary system, it's going to provide so many people with economic freedom in terms of being able to transact value literally to anyone without any middleman. Um, what is that worth to people? You know, we have an existing monetary system that is failing. Um, we have, you know, it, you know, just, just, we have a black swan event and that's just kind of highlighted the issues with the monetary system. You know, we can see the traditional stock markets going up, but there's never been more unemployed people, traditional stock market, the only stock market, um, you, you know, US equities are going up, but there's never been more unemployed people in the history of a recession or depression of, of the United States. And yet, 
you know, what, you know, there's a certain that's based on the existing monetary system. What is the, the cost or the value of of a Bitcoin actually doing the things that it, it potentially can? And that's worst case scenario. And it's not and it's not even like that. So let's quickly talk about energy before I go off another rant. So Coinbase columnist Nick Carter is a partner at Castle Live Ventures, a public blockchain focused venture fund based in Cambridge, Mass. Massachusetts. He is co-founder of Coinmetrics, a blockchain analytics startup. Um, so, so he's talking about the basics. So many people, when decrying Bitcoin's energy footprint, 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 point out its energy consumption. I presume that someone somewhere is being deprived of electricity because that of because of this rapacious assets notice is this is this not the case bitcoin's presence in many jurisdictions doesn't affect the price of energy at all because the energy there isn't actually being used how could this be so if you're not aware there's massive amounts of surplus energy in a lot of places um in traditional um oil and gas there's a effort now to use the surplus energy which they typically have to just burn into the atmosphere um just burn off um converting that into bitcoin mining same thing with uh, renewables, same thing with um, other energy companies, just pure energy companies. And a fantastic thing about Bitcoin is it's providing these energy companies with an ability to make money um, with their surplus energy um, because they can't all store the energy. It has to be used for something. Um, if there isn't a demand and that's not and it's clearly not here yet, then why not use it to mine Bitcoin? Why not create an insurance fund for the company through Bitcoin? And that's something that we're seeing happening already. But anyway, the first thing to understand is energy is, food, is, is not globally fungible. Electricity decays as it leaves the point of origin. It's expensive to transport. Globally, about 8% of electricity is lost in transit. Even high-voltage transmission lines suffer line losses, making it impractical to transport electricity, electricity over very long distances. This is why we talk about an energy grid. You have to produce it virtually everywhere, especially near to population centers. So he talks about that. Um, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dive too deep in this article actually just because it's gonna be be a bit lengthy but I, I highly recommend you read it um, just so you, you do have an understand standing and next bit he talks about um, carbon costs so Bitcoin energy con consumption equivalent to co2 emissions what matters is the type of energy source being used to generate electricity as there are not homogeneous from a carbon footprint perspective the academic efforts that get Breathlessly reported in the press, tend to assume either energy mix, which is in, is in variance at the global or country level. So, lots of flashy headlines around Bitcoin CO2 uh, CO2 footprint um, and extrapolations. But truth be told, a lot of Bitcoin is being used on existing uh, existing legacy, you know, traditional not traditional not legacy um, like oil and gas systems. Um, they're not. We're not creating new refineries or or or, or oil or oil rigs to, to mine Bitcoin. The surplus energy that's coming from their rigs that would be burned off in the atmosphere is being used to mine Bitcoin. Renewables. Let's talk about renewables. More and more renewables is renewable energy is being deployed all over the world constantly. Um, again, there's a surplus of renewable energy. Some of that is being put towards Bitcoin. In a lot of these places, the renewable energy is is being sub subsidized by the government, so it's cheaper in theory. There is a cost, but the government's paying for it. And in theory, if the government's paying for it, then the taxpayer's paying for it. But you know, ultimately, taxpayers want renewable energy because that means that there's less CO2 emissions, means a healthier environment, means it's more sustainable economy and uh, economy. Because 
renewables are the future there's no there's no doubt this includes uh nuclear energy as well nu nuclear energy is renewable energy as well um bitcoin falls into that it's it's again there's, there's extra energy so in terms of carbon emissions bitcoin's more is more carbon friendly than people think because it's not it's not it's not creating new systems that are you know causing a uh, great carbon emissions in the environment is actually um, using existing, uh, you know, energy energy producers systems, for example, oil and gas, or encouraging um, the growth of renewables. So, you know, this, this article is worth a read because it goes into better depth than what I'm talking about, than what I'm what I'm conveying here. But I'm just giving you the very, you know, just very surface level um description of how this works so when people talk about oh bitcoin's energy cost is you know the same as africa it's the entire country's energy energy cost well if it was the entire world's energy costs we'll have a network of system you know if it was if it was, if it was if it was consuming enough electricity as the entire world we'd still have enough electricity and we still wouldn't have massive um massive amounts of, of co2 emissions so it's a bit of a silly argument Next up, let's talk about this uh, article saying that ISIS is 300 million war chests is hidden in Bitcoin's think tank. So um, let's let's assume that this is true. That ISIS has 300 million dollars worth of Bitcoin uh, on the network. Um, I'm going to say something that's probably a bit controversial, but that probably goes to show that the, that Bitcoin works in in the aspect of that you're able to store and transact value in a censorship resistant way because even you know when the entire world's trying to take your money, they can't. So if this is true, this just goes to throw Bitcoin strength. Unfortunately, it probably means that, you know, ISIS is being funded. It's never great having terrorist organizations being funded, but there is no perfect system. Perfect systems do not exist. So, you know, it's kind of what, what do you want in terms of the kind of future you want to exist in? And realistically speaking, ISIS use oil as well same with al-qaeda they use oil at, you know and the dollar as a means of transacting value um predominantly oil and there's no articles talking about how we need to ban oil so you know think of that what you may uh so just quickly finish and round up with some interesting news as well so like i mentioned previously crypto wealth since 15 almost 15,000 bitcoin to a non-wallet as an average fee set to send that btc is five dollars 82 cents five dollars 82 cents to send let me see how much bitcoin this is jesus christ that's a long number so it's 11 oh wow um 118 million dollars worth or 100 and i wish there were comments here in this um Sorry, with long numbers, I struggle. Bear with me. Point is, it's a massive number, okay? It's a ridiculously high number. And if you notice recently, um, yeah, $180 million transacted for $5. $5, guys, that's insane. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I think, I can't remember which country, Iran um, and Venezuela basically were sending gold be between each other via plane and it cost them more than $5, let's just say. I can't remember how much they were sent. I think it was like $300 million or something like that, or $200 million. And the amount to send it was really high. Just imagine the weight of gold 
bars they're sending, um, securing it, etc., etc. There's an extreme cost in that. Compare that to sending that with just Bitcoin. That that same transaction sent with Bitcoin would be, you know, in this region of five dollars. Can you look how cheap the fees are? It's insane. Um, moving on. So. This is great news for, for, for Tezos. So largest private investment bank in Latin America issues real estate, real estate tokens on Tezos. So Banco BTG Pactucal, the largest private investment bank in Latin America is moving some of its real estate backed security tokens over to the Tezos blockchain. Big stuff. So the, the bank previously had issued its REIT BZ tokens on the Ethereum blockchain, raising 10 million in Ether and Gemini dollars GUSD. So if you aren't sure what a REIT is, it's basically a way to invest in property um, through like a percentage of the of the property. So for example, if a property is worth 100 million, if you dump in uh, 100 million, if property is worth a million and you dump in 10,000 then you own a percentage of that property and get returns of investment based on that percentage of you investing in that property. Um, I'm assuming that's what that is because I don't know what the BZ in the REIT BZ stands for. Um, of course there's risks um, but some people like it. Now I don't know if you've been following my channel for this long but I did mention how Ethereum post ICO mania was going to have projects start to leave the chain. And what would be the impact of this? Well, it'd be people dumping Ethereum um, to kind of, well, just in general, these projects are gonna be dumping Ethereum over time because it's how they're, how they're paying off for their, for the, for the you know, staff, their costs, you know, operating costs for their businesses um, and projects. But also if they're moving, they're moving to, a, to another blockchain, there's a cost to that. So it's very interesting. I, I don't think that this is, this is like going to you know throw Ethereum from the top second position on coin market cap, which is going to lose a significant amount of market cap valuation. But it is worth understanding that developer developer activity on a blockchain is crucial for its growth, and that can kind of slow down with Ethereum as it gets diluted. Uh, I think it's a bit of a different issue when it comes to looking at Bitcoin versus all the forks because Bitcoin's been really resilient and some people have complained about the fact that you know all these Bitcoin forks it could be having this development on chain well the great thing is that if you really do disagree with the majority of the community you can just fork Bitcoin and create something better and if it is better it will be it will be the top dog so there is no question but this is this is actually really big news for Tezos so congratulations Tezos um Tezos the blockchain congratulations and um yeah, we would likely to see more of the same, more of these migrations to some of these larger blockchains like EOS, Cardano, um, and Cosmos as well, Tezos as well, Algo as well. Anyway, last piece of great news. So Jack, the CEO of Twitter and the Cash App, um, has changed or put forward great implementations with his team to have recurring payments of Bitcoin on the Cash App daily weekly every two weeks and you can change the default uh, values to display satoshis so it's in satoshis rather than dollars so i can't wait to get the cash app whenever it's you know available outside of the us and we're able to kind of 
use the cash app that'll be amazing um same with swan bitcoin because and i'll throw this out to you there guys um if any of you know a way what's the cheapest way for you to guys for you guys to buy bitcoin with minimal fees because coinbase pro is what i've been using for quite some time i have access to a lot of silver and off ramps in this space but i generally just use coinbase pro because of the ease of using it i always have issues if you issues logging into kraken in terms of passwords etc etc i have quite a few kraken accounts um but Coinbase Pro has been relatively reliable since I've been using it uh, before it was when it was GDAX as well. Um, but still, the fees are relatively high for, you know, if you're starting, if you if you buy or trade quite high levels of Bitcoin, the fees are quite high and you do quite a few of those trades, then, you know, you're getting, you know, you're getting your profits chewed into over time. So it's a bit of it's a bit frustrating. So if any of you know, um, if you, any of you know, um, not like I'm trading massive amounts on Coinbase Pro, actually, just so you guys know. I'm not trying to, like, say I'm some uh, Bitcoin whale because I'm not. Um, if you guys know any other exchanges or or, or, or ways to uh, have reduced fees, do comment below because it can help out the community here. But that's it for the video, guys. Thank you so much for watching and listening and consuming this content wherever you do. Um, really appreciate all of you. Again, do sign up to that mailing list because I'm giving away a lot of free stuff at the moment and um, some of you probably aren't even aware. I'm giving away trading updates as well. Um, giving uh, 20 people access to the new membership site for free. Um, well, semi-free, basically have to pay and I refund you. Um, just the way it works, unfortunately. Um, but but yeah, um, do do check it out. Lots of good stuff bloombearcrypto.com forward slash insider or just the main page because I haven't changed the main page as well. Um, I have some interesting news as well. If any of you know a graphic designer um, that would like to be working full time, I have a lot of tasks that need to get done. I will be hiring someone um, within the next six to eight weeks. It's going to take a little while just because I've got a little work to do on the, on the website and the back end. Um, but I just want to make sure I hire someone good. Do pass on their information to me um, because I'm ready to get rolling with a lot of good stuff. Anyway, hope you have an amazing day. I shall speak to you very soon. Wishing you guys all the very best.